0: Welcome to dissecting philosophy with Dr. Macdonald. In this episode, I'll be reading and discussing the section seventeen to twenty-two of the big section of old and new law tables in Nietzsche's *Thus Spoke Zarathustra*. So let's get started. Section seventeen. There stands the boat over there is perhaps the way to the great nothingness, but who wants to step into this perhaps? None of you wants to step into the death boat. How then could you be world-weary? World-weary, and you have not yet even parted from the earth. I have always found you still greedy for the earth, still in love with your own weariness of the earth your lip does not hang down in vain a little earthly wish still sits upon it and in your eye does not a little cloud of unforgotten earthly joy swim there there are many excellent inventions on earth some useful some pleasant the earth is to be loved for their sake and there are many things so well devised that they are like woman's breasts at the same time useful and pleasant. But you world-weary people, you should be given a stroke of the cane. Your legs should be made sprightly again with cane strokes. For, if you are not invalids and worn-out wretches of whom the earth is weary, you are sly sluggards or dainty sneaking lust cats. And if you will not again run about merrily you shall pass away. One should not want to be a physician to the incurable. Thus, Zarathustra teaches, so you shall pass away. But to make an end requires more courage than to make a new verse. All physicians and poets know that. So in kicking off section 17, we have this continuing discussion of spirituality and organized religion and then we have a nice metaphor popping out at the start of the section with a boat who wants to go into this boat that's going to lead us into the great nothing and nothingness and that's quite an interesting concept itself of nothing in nothingness because we have in phenomenology of course Jean-Paul Sartre's philosophy is being in nothingness and his whole argument of course is that everything comes out of nothing and this nothingness so they have quite a nice relation to later philosophy as well as this the importance of this idea of nothingness here but what is Nietzsche meaning is that we have precisely no afterlife whatsoever in fact when we have an idea of the afterlife is precisely given to us through organized religion precisely as that a life that is lived post death in a fantastical way through whichever way that is in whichever organized religion that is but we have then Nietzsche say well actually what do we have as a concrete definite thing as an idea is a great nothing and so it's this whole idea of a complete absolute blank space of absolute darkness and nothing there whatsoever is that something that seems appealing to people does that sound like you want to rush towards it in any given way and of course what Nietzsche's Making us think of here is no, we wouldn't want to in any given way rush towards a thing that has absolutely nothing there, and a complete blank space. And so, why you could say is the idea of the afterlife so appealing? Is through the way in which is argued to be so much better than life now but here you have nietzsche say well that's not the case because what we actually have is nothing and in fact if i said to you let's go jump in the boat and let's go for it let's go towards this thing would you want to do it no And then comes in, of course, the crucial question, well, if you don't want to go for it, into this nothing, how could you then be world-weary? How can you be precisely weary of this world when you have absolutely no enthusiasm to want to go to the next world because of that big nothingness that's there? And then what Nietzsche wants us to think upon as well is, not a new idea at all that he's argued for in Zarathustra where we say well where precisely does all the joy and pleasure come from is the world itself an enjoying life in the here and now and we get that added on to the idea well there's many excellent inventions on earth as he says some useful and some pleasant as of course we have much more inventions now they give us much sense of a great enjoyment of things because they allow us to enjoy the world in the here and now and of course And television is such a great example of that because it helps us enable to indulge our various different interests that we may have through whatever it is, watching documentaries or even just watching sitcoms or movies and so on. All enabling us to not only be entertained, but also at the same time, allowing us deeper insight into topics. I mean, we could only just think about the fantastic documentaries done by the BBC and David Attenborough with the whole Planet Earth as a series. As well as various different documentaries that's all on Netflix and so on. That enables us insight into various different aspects of things that were not brought to light before and suddenly is brought to light and then has so much mainstream attention and then everybody's like oh that's so interesting i need to go watch that and of course we can go into just all the different various types of inventions over time and so on and the whole point of that is of course what's the whole point of just inventions is creativity what does creativity allow us to do is allow us to indulge our own interests and therefore build upon knowledge within a given field and therefore help us also to enjoy life and whatever it is that we're doing and so Nietzsche's really saying here for the people that are world weary or those people who focus upon death in the afterlife what you need to do is hit them in the legs with canes and so the whole idea of that is of course that they've become numb in some sort of sense and so you need to put the blood back into their legs so they're able to move around again And so if they're able to move around again, then they would be able to do all the fantastic things that you were able to do when you're able to walk, basically, in that given instance, where you would be able to enjoy life in the world. And if they don't want to go and enjoy life in the world, as he says, well, that's okay, because eventually, over time, their whole mindset and so forth will be passed away and a whole different mindset will be emerging always that reference that we don't have it here though but to that great noon ties as he says when that fresh dawn's gonna appear with different outlook and different perspective section 18 oh my brothers there are law tables framed by weariness and law tables framed by laziness indolent laziness although they speak similarly they want to be heard differently look here at this languishing man he is only an inch from his goal but from weariness he has laid himself defiantly here in the dust this valiant man he yawns from weariness at the path and the earth and the goal and at himself he refuses to take another step this valiant man Now the sun burns down upon him and the dogs lick his sweat, but he lays there in his defiance and prefers to languish, to languish an inch from his goal. Truly he will have to be pulled into his heaven by the hair, this hero. Better to leave him lying where he is laid himself, so that sleep, the comforter, may come to him with cooling murmuring rain let him lie until he awakes of his own accord, until of his own accord he disavows all weariness and what weariness has taught through him. Only, my brothers, scare away the dogs from him, the indolent skulkers and all swarming vermin, all the swarming cultured vermin who feast upon the sweat of every hero." So, for section 18, then we have this image of a man who's worked really hard and is almost at the goal that he needs to reach. But he's ultimately worked so hard he needs to rest and lie down and collect himself in order for him to be reinvigorated in order to reach his goal. And the key thing is this whole aspect of will he reach his goal or not because he has the potential for things to hold him back and the things that hold him back is the as he says the dogs that lick his sweat which then at the end of the section it says scare away the dogs from him the indolent skulkers and all swarming vermin All the swarming cultured vermin who feast upon the sweat of every hero. So what's going to hold him back in a way is going to be these dogs that are going to take credit for his work. And all the hardship that he's put into it. And then also we have the environmental effect that's going to hold him down as well. The sun itself being so hot and just that whole it's too hot to move and the struggle it would be to move because you're so comfortable and so nice and warm and snug just lying there it's easier to just lie there rather than for you to do anything at all and so what's one of the key things that comes out of this section then we have this whole sense of well what is the force that's going to propel someone forward and enable them to reach their goal in the first place even though there could be things that hold them back and the answer to that is always the person themselves and that they need to have the courage and conviction in order to have that whole move forward in order to reach that goal but it's also that whole problem at the same time as that goal is not something that's easy to reach in any given way but rather takes all that hardship to reach and we precisely forget about all that hardship once the goal itself has been reached so these themes then nicely continue into the next section section 19 i form circles and holy boundaries around myself fewer and fewer climb with me upon higher and higher mountains i build a mountain range out of holier and holier mountains but wherever you would climb with me O my brothers see to it that no parasite climbs with you parasite that is a worm, a creeping, supple worm that wants to grow fat on your sick, sore places. And it is its art to divine the weary spots and climbing souls. It builds its loathsome nest in your grief and dejection, in your tender modesty. Where the strong man is weak, where the noble man is too gentle, there it builds its loathsome nest the parasite dwells where the great man possesses little sore places, which is the highest type of being and which is the lowest, the parasite is the lowest, but he who is of the highest type nourishes the most parasites, for the soul which possesses the longest ladder and can descend the deepest. How should the most parasites not sit upon it? The most spacious soul, which can run and stray and roam. The farthest into itself, the most necessary soul, which out of joy hurls itself into chance. The existing soul, which plunges into becoming. The possessing soul, which wants to partake in desire and longing. The soul fleeing from itself which retrieves itself in the widest sphere. The wisest soul to which foolishness speaks sweetest. The soul that loves itself the most, in which all things have their current and counter-current and ebb and flow. Oh, how should the highest soul not possess the most parasites? so section 19 then we have coming back in this whole relation into climbing mountains and by this point it's no surprise that we have the mountains come back in because zathustra loves his mountains and the whole point about mountains and this whole aspect of climbing is that relation into knowledge and gaining knowledge And therefore, the steep climb we have in order to try and to understand things and gain knowledge from things. But we also can relate it into the whole aspect of self-improvement as well through that steep climb that we have. And to try and to improve ourselves as an individual. And in the midst of all that, he says, which is quite a nice overlap with section 18... For section 19, we have the parasite, quite like before we had the idea of the dogs licking sweat. And here, what happens with the parasite is he says, these are little supple creeping worms. And what do they do? They precisely feed on your grief and dejection. And so we have this whole aspect of whenever we try to climb the mountain, as he says, in a metaphorical sense. Again, we have this whole aspect of, well, there's going to be things that try to hold us down. And now we have this nice relation into our mental health. Because what is some of the things that's going to precisely hold us back is our sense of grief sadness and depression and what makes us feel this way is he says it's in this sense of our modesty and being too modest in our abilities and so a great example of that is of course when you have a great violinist and simply they say I enjoy playing violin when you clearly can see they not only enjoy violin but they're exceptional at playing him and should be proud at precisely playing him and what Nietzsche wants us to think upon here is that once we have this whole sense of climbing the mountain and reach the top of it where we can say, well, I've reached this great sense of knowledge of playing an instrument, or have learned a great vast deal of knowledge within the given discipline that I have interest in, suddenly, there's this whole sense of modesty that can creep in. And through all that, there's that aspect of leeching, and sapping away all the ideas about a person having not only achieved what they've managed to achieve, but also how good they are themselves. And so it's this whole idea of somebody putting down themselves and their own abilities and their own knowledge. And so you would think maybe the best aspect would be to try and get rid of these parasites in order for us to be more confident and self-assured and overall happy but what's interesting here is that Nietzsche says well we have two different types of being we have on the one hand those parasites but then on the other we have the highest as he says who precisely nourishes the most parasites and that itself is really quite interesting when you think well surely the idea would be to get rid of the parasites but here it's arguing precisely the opposite no actually the highest type of people will be those that will be nourishing the most so How can we then get into what Nietzsche is trying to say there? Is that once we have that whole aspect of having climbed the mountain and attained knowledge and so forth, then of course we have that whole battle and struggle within ourselves. But it's also to affirm this sort of return and continual struggle that occurs within us that it's not something that just simply can be resolved in any given way or any model can just say well if you follow this and do this therefore you're going to be a nice happy person free from all of life's strife and troubles and on the other hand here we have Nietzsche saying quite the opposite no that's not how things work you can't just suddenly do this that or the other and Nothing's going to return back as a problem. That's not how it works. But also, it's the sense of here, well, we need to affirm this tension and struggle also within us because it enables us to precisely affirm all the joyful, pleasurable moments that then occur. And so, what we have a nice relation into here is a nice Bob Ross quote for Bob Ross, the fantastic painter as well, that teaches people back in the day on TV how to do your nice landscape painting. And what one of Bob Ross's quite famous quotes is, is that you've got to have a little sadness once in a while so that you know when the good times come. And it's the same sense here. Of that well you've got to have this tension and struggle and strife within ourselves. Because yeah the good times will come back. But it's also the fact that we can't just suddenly try to sweep that under the carpet and act like it doesn't exist. Because what it enables us to do is precisely affirm those times when the joyfulness and happiness all comes back to us so when we have that person who's self-confident and seems extremely happy we're saying well that's only on a surface level and Nietzsche is saying well within all that what we don't see is of course the daps we don't see any of the internal struggle that's going on within somebody's life within their own mental health and so on and within all that as well We need to affirm all that because it then allows us to also affirm all the good times and happiness because we wouldn't know what that was if we didn't have also, like what Bob Ross says, the little sadness once in a while. Section 20 Oh my brothers, am I then cruel? But I say, that which is falling should also be pushed everything of today it is falling it is decaying who would support it but I want to push it too do you know the delight that rolls stones into precipice depths these men of today just see how they roll into my depths I am a prologue to better players oh my brothers an example Follow my example, and him you do not teach to fly. Teach to fall faster. So a really nice wee small section for 20, where we have Nietzsche then affirm the whole relation into structures of knowledge and ultimately helping push things to the destruction taking the legs from out underneath them and allowing them to fall and collapse down and as he says what do we want is them to roll away and i don't want you to teach people how to fly anymore we rather want to teach them how to fall faster and so it's interesting there as well as when we have that relation to flying as well i don't want you teaching people how to go and to think about metaphysics and coming away from the world rather i want to push things down and help them be destroyed faster i'm a prologue to better players as he says and that's the whole point where we have this relation into knowledge and affirming the destructive nature of it Because on the one hand we could say well in traditional philosophy what does it always try to do is establish foundations that are solid and completely concrete and what does that ultimately do provide a nice stable basis for everything else. And there's kind of an irony within the history of philosophy because one person comes along and tries to establish a foundation and then another person comes along and they've got a better foundation and then yet another person comes along and then tries to fix out the foundation again. The irony, of course, is the fact as there's that continual change and continual having to fix the basis for everything all the time and within all that Nietzsche's like well good allow that to happen allow that foundation to crumble and have to be fixed again so here Nietzsche's clashing with traditional philosophy in allowing and affirming precisely this whole relation into the change of structures of knowledge why is that because when we Affirm that change, I'm that whole affirmation and affirming of better players to come out, as he says. So, when we have that relation into change, we also have that relation and affirmation of newness and new knowledge and ideas and perspectives every single time as it moves forward. And that's the whole thing that we get out of section 20 is that we need to push things in order for them to crumble and when and once they're all nice and destroyed and so forth and picked apart then different perspectives and ideas all emerge and therefore how much better it would be to continually affirm this forward motion of knowledge all the time is this continual change through ideas ...and different perspectives, rather than this complete static idea of knowledge... ...where it's always the same and unchanging all the time. Section 21. I love the brave, but it's not enough to be a swordsman. One must also know against whom to be a swordsman. And there's often more bravery in containing oneself and passing by in order to spare oneself for a worthier enemy. You should have enemies whom you hate, but not enemies whom you despise. You must be proud of your enemy, thus I taught once before. You should spare yourselves, O my friends, for a worthier enemy. Therefore you must pass many things by. Especially you must pass by many of the rabble who din in your ears about people and peoples. Keep your eye clear of their for and against. There is much right, much wrong in it. Whoever looks on grows angry. To look in, to weigh in, that comes to the same thing in this case. Therefore go off into the forests and lay your sword to sleep. Go your ways and let people and peoples go theirs. Dark ways to be sure on which not one hope lightens any longer. Let the shopkeeper rule, where everything that still glisters is shopkeeper's gold. The age of kings is past. What today calls itself, the people deserves no king. To see how these people themselves now behave like shopkeepers, they glean the smallest advantage from sweepings of every kind. They lie in wait for one another, They wheedle things out of one another. They call that good neighborliness. Oh, blessed distant time when a people said to itself, I want to be master over peoples. For, my brothers, the best shall rule. The best wants to rule. And where it is taught differently, there the best is lacking. And so for section 21, then, it touches upon previous ideas that's popped up in Zarathustra so far, where we've had the whole relation into finding yourself a good enemy, as he says, in order for you to hate them but not despise them. And so it goes into that whole aspect of affirming another person's position and their different outlook and approach and idea and you can completely hate it but you still are very complimentary towards their idea and precisely what they're trying to say and it's quite interesting also in relation to traditional philosophy within all that because There's a sort of egoism that comes out in philosophy where it's always people then set up the models and foundations and so forth in order for everybody to run around and say, I'm much more smarter than you because I've thought up of this. I've created this. And isn't this so much more fantastic than everything else that's come before it? And there's this whole sort of, well, everybody prior to me hasn't done this philosophy and philosophical model as good as I've done it. Well Nietzsche has a much more democratic approach, let's say, of doing it, rather than just trying to have a flat-out egoism about doing philosophy, where you can precisely affirm your opponent's views. And so, of course, you can go into any sort of fantastic clash within philosophy where you have like Plato versus Aristotle where you have precisely that happening where Aristotle comes along completely criticizes Plato's own philosophy even though it has a very fantastic relation into it and still very much influenced by it Aristotle still has that whole idea of I'm doing everything much better than what Plato did But rather, if we took that approach that Nietzsche's wanting to say, well, if they're both very much affirmative of each given person's opinion, then they'll be able to see the nice ways in which both views are not only opposite from each other, but also can have a nice sort of complement into how they would work against each other and so forth. And so the whole point about that of his course is to say well what don't we want is all that egoism is all that running around saying I have the absolute best model look at me because then you get into the horrible aspect if you take in a political sense of some sort of totalitarian ideas where there's only one specific view that's always going to be correct and always should be affirmed throughout time because this is what the regime says that everybody should go read and take upon and understand and treat whatever it is as the gospel that's not what we want we don't want in Nietzsche words to take upon this holy spiritual aspect to them we always want to have that relation into everything's very much temporary, everything can be challenged, everything can change, there's always another idea, and it's gone back into that point it's made again in 20 there, we want to affirm that whole pushing aspect of it, and allowing it to crumble. After that in 21 then, we have this whole movement of, well, we've got to pass on by a lot of things and this whole idea of passing on by many different things is again another idea that's creeped up before and he said you've got to try and spare yourselves for a worthy enemy therefore shouldn't just have everything try to affect you in some given way or try to respond to absolutely everything rather you should try and find that key person that worthy opponent as he says and that's just good practice ultimately to say well it's physically impossible for somebody to try and respond to everybody and not everybody is going to necessarily make a good criticism and then we have a move in to talk about herd mentality again and people where he says keep clear of their for and against Which is quite interesting as a statement. Because it's trying to think about the whole way in which you can try and skew arguments into either... Do you agree? Yes or no? Do you like this? Yes or no? Is your favourite colour this? Yes or no? And so on. And the whole point about it is... Is that... It forgets about the underlying reasons for why there is that whole yes, no opposition in the first place. That whole for and against. What's much more interesting to Nietzsche is trying to find out the underlying reasons for why we think of a certain way is correct or wrong. In a certain time period. Rather than just saying it is correct or not. So that's why he says be much weary of when they say just say yes or no. Because his reply would be well why? Why do we think yes or no? Why do we in this given instance? What was the circumstances and context And whole background for why we think that way. And so, then moving on from that, we have no surprise when Nietzsche then argues, What have you got to do? Separate yourself out from the herd. And that is not surprising at all by this point, because we've had previous arguments where he said, In order for creativity to emerge, you have to separate yourself out from everybody in the first place. As he says here, you've got to go off into the forests and separate yourself out from every everybody else. Go your ways and let people and peoples go theirs. And again, he says, dark ways to be sure on which not one hope lightens any longer. So, it's that whole way. Well, once you're going to separate yourself out, then you're going to have to go through the whole struggle and process to try and understand exactly who you are and what you believe. And that is not an easy path whatsoever to take. And why is, of course, all this important is because we have that whole relation back into herd mentality again. What's the whole problem with that in this given? context is that everybody's gonna think the same and think in a very generalized way the yes and no for and against and what do we want is for precisely our own unique different perspectives outlooks beliefs all to emerge and not for everybody to just run around and think exactly the same ways each other And so then we have that relation into ruling and this whole aspect of wanting to be like a master over the people or like a king, as he says, for rounding off section 21. And it just fits into, again, a previous idea of, well, if we're not obeying, so if we're not in the sense of just accepting things at face value what are we going to therefore do by separating ourselves out from the herd is move towards a more commanding aspect through wanting to try and not rule people but in the sense of allowing other people to find the best version of themselves out of all that as well and to therefore affirm and allow other people to flourish through having such a great person to command over everybody else and a contemporary example of that is when we always have successful people then write books precisely about well i followed this And then this and all these different aspects within my life are different ways in which I found success. And these might be also useful in your life as well. And of course, there's lots of different examples. We have, of course, comedian Kevin Hart has written a book which is called I Can't Make This Up. And then we also have, as another example a book written by Dwayne The Rock Johnson who's an actor as well as previous professional wrestler which his book's called The Life Lessons and Rules for Success so we have this whole aspect then of what should people want is ultimately wanting to be successful and from all that what do we then have a benefit of through that whole relation into climbing mountains again then one person's achievements can then also have the beneficial knock-on effect of helping others also achieve success and then this is a nice overlap in things with section 22 so continuing on then If they had bread for nothing, alas, what would they cry for? Their maintenance, that is their proper entertainment, and life shall be hard for them. They are beasts of prey, even in their working. There is robbery, even in their earning. There is fraud, therefore life shall be hard for them. Thus they shall become finer beasts of prey, subtler, Cleverer, more manlike beasts of prey, for man is the finest beast of prey. Man has already robbed all beasts of their virtues. That is why, of all beasts, life is the hardest for man. Only the birds are still beyond him. And if man should learn to fly, alas, to what height would his rapaciousness fly? So what's another couple of aspects that's coming out of herd mentality is the whole relation into simply complaining about a thing and then also a relation into greed which then goes into 21 and the relation into shopkeeper and shopkeeper's gold as well. And then for 22, we also have this stripping out beasts of prey of their virtues. So, what does ultimately the whole thing entail? Is it nicely then, fits all the way back into section 18, where we have the man lying down, ultimately not reaching his goal this is a similar situation where we have people ultimately focused on solely greed wealth and complaining without ever actually reaching a goal for things and therefore he says well what would happen even if we achieve flight which of course happened after Nietzsche's death famously December 17th 1903 is when Wilbur and Orville Wright made four brief flights on the first powered aircraft but what Nietzsche is saying is well there is no limit basically to our greed as a species and from all that we're like this going back into again man who's sat there not getting to the goal whatsoever because what's ultimately happened is that we strip away all the beneficial qualities out of things like the beasts of prey a fun example of that of course is when uh can't remember exactly which zoo it was but some Person thought it was a great idea to jump into a tiger's enclosure, and from all that, what happened was the tiger attacked and killed the person who jumped into the enclosure. What's ironic about the whole situation is, of course, is that the way that the media spun it was that the blame was not placed upon the person who jumped into the enclosure rather the blame was placed onto the tiger and this is kind of fun because you can see nietzsche's point here is that we (laughs) blame the tiger for precisely being a tiger at that given point and that oh what should a tiger be oh it should be this sweet thing that you just look at behind a nice glass Enclosure and therefore it's just nice and picturesque now a tiger is a vicious killing machine and that's what we should affirm it as and Appreciate precisely what it is and not suddenly going well oh Just because we have this nice cutesy image of cats and therefore associate them to big cats and so forth therefore we try to cutify that's a good word isn't it animals and precisely forget about all their instinctual aspects and really that the whole interest relation to all this of course is well this is what man has become we are like the tigers in the sense of we're viewing each other all within this sort of enclosure environment sapped of all our instinctual drives very passive very flaccid just sitting there getting stared at through glass was Nietzsche's whole project as he says trying to reinvigorate us in a way and not blaming a tiger for being a tiger not as well trying to therefore say in the relation to uh, the human species that what we should do is get reinvigorated because therefore we can become again more successful have our own thoughts and opinions and precisely affirming all our drive and desire and striving for all that success in the first place as well as affirming all our creativity and creative process at the same time many thanks for listening to the episode i hope you enjoyed my discussion of the sections 17 to 22 of the section of all the new law tables in nietzsche's thus spoke zarathustra feel free to visit my patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dissecting philosophy Feel free to also tip me a coffee at ko fi.com forward slash dissecting philosophy. My email address is dissectingphilosophy at gmail.com just in case you want to ask any questions. And finally, I could be found on Twitter at IAMAROBERMAN. Many thanks for listening to the episode and I hope you'll join me next time.